This morning we want to welcome Carol Baum. She's with us here this morning. And if you, hopefully everyone got one of these um, handouts and uh, you can sort of look off of that uh, and what she is doing. Um, but back in 1975, she surrendered her life to Jesus Christ. And when I first read this, I thought about that. I'm thinking how old I was. And that was about the year, give or take a few months, when I surrendered my life to Christ too. And uh, what a special time for Jesus to grab a hold of you, to change you and give you direction. And Carol went, and as you read about this, she graduated from Tacoa Falls College in Georgia, and she had went in for a degree in missions. God laid upon her heart to reach the nations, one particular nation. After several years of being in Belgium and Hungary with United Mission, uh, World Mission, Carol felt led by the Lord in 94 to serve in the mission field that centered on sharing the gospel with Jewish people. So that same year, she joined the missionary staff of Chosen People Ministries and was appointed to Toronto, Canada. And after serving 10 years in uh, Canada, I don't know if it was too cold, you relocated in Delray, Florida, and uh, Delray Beach, Florida. And matter of fact, we have uh, a member of our church here whose son served as a pastor, youth pastor in Delray Beach, and uh, he's being ordained tonight. That's very special. Um, God is good. And Carol uh, moved into a 55 and older community, population 98% Jewish, and she ministers to people there in a home Bible study. And the people in her condo community are in the uh, latter years of their lives, and uh, her heart is for those people, for the Jewish people. In Romans 10, 1, it says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. And this morning, we're so glad. She went through a lot to get here yesterday, through the airport and rental cars and everything else. Um, but God has brought here, her here today to share her mission, what she does, and to share with us a very special thing with what the Passover is all about. Carol, would you please come forward this morning? And uh, they're all yours. God bless you. You're all mine. Shalom. Shalom. Shalom means peace. And if you were in uh, Israel, or if you lived in Israel, and you met someone coming down the street, you would greet them with a shalom. And then when you left them, you would say shalom, shalom. So you're offering them a double portion of peace when you leave them. Now, as the pastor said, I'm with Chosen People Ministries. Chosen People Ministries is the oldest ministry reaching out to the Jewish people with the gospel. It began in 1894, and out of Chosen People grew other ministries, such as, um, what is it, Jews for Jesus, and a couple of other groups. Now, uh, my, my job, actually, is to reach out to the uh, senior community in Delray Beach, Florida. When I arrived there from Canada, uh, the mission wanted me to go down there because I just happened to be over 55. And so uh, they wanted me to move into that community. Again, it's 98% Jewish. And so I have never owned anything before. I never owned an apartment or a house or anything. So I had to buy there. And I kept looking around and praying for the place God wanted me. And so he brought me back to this, kept coming back to this one building. And so I, I bought the apartment there. And it turns out that that's the only place in Kings Point, that's the subdivision I live in, with 7,200 condominiums, 98% Jewish. It was the only building that had a woman's club. And so I was there about a month and I was invited to a meeting at this woman's club. And I went and they were electing officers and they asked me to be president. Now, I, was, I didn't even know where I was, much less anything else. But at first I said no and then I started thinking about it. And I said, yes, I will because that will get me into everybody's apartment because I knock on the door and say, hi, I'm your new president and I just wanna to get to know you. And so uh, that's what I did for about a year and a half. And then I started having Bible studies in my home and I work with uh, my local church. And I'm also teaching a Bible study now that has uh, Egyptians and Iranians and other groups in it. 
And so I'd appreciate your prayers for me. Uh, it's not an easy ministry because these people, as they get older, these Jewish people, they're afraid that if they accept Yeshua, Jesus, as their Savior, that their children won't take care of them. You know, they'll disown them, just like most Jews that come to the Lord, they're usually disowned by their family. So it's very difficult ministry. But Jewish people have come to the Lord, and uh, I had two uh, Holocaust victims in Toronto, two women that went through the Holocaust, and uh, both of them accepted the Lord. One of them did, told me I will, she was 96 years old when I left to come down to Delray Beach, and she said, I will never <coughs> accept that man. That's what they call Jesus. And she said, I'm Jewish, and I'll die Jewish. And I said, yes, that's true. But you will, I want you to be a completed Jew. And so I'd been gone for about a year, and I got a phone call. And I was told by the nurse that uh, Elsie accepted the Lord on her 97th birthday. So nothing is impossible with the Lord. I've had a number of Gentiles that have come to the Lord down in Delray Beach. And one Jewish woman who has had uh, cerebral palsy all her life. And she found out recently that she has uh, cancer and she's been given six months to two years to leave, live. And she called our office wanting to know uh, somebody to tell her about this Jesus. And so I spent a lot of time with her going over it. And this hard, another hard thing for Jews is that the Shema says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And she would scream at me, and she says, God is one. I said, yes, that's true. But God is one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And then I explained, gave her some things to kind of try to explain the uh, uh, Trinity, which none of them are complete, but at least it gave her an idea. And so she did accept the Lord. So I'd ask that you pray for Norma because she keeps asking us to pray that she would not die, that she would live. She wants to live. Okay, now I am uh, wearing what is called a tallit, or a prayer shawl. And normally a woman doesn't wear the prayer shawl unless she's a rabbi in the uh, Reformed group of Jewish people. And as you see, This prayer shawl has four corners. Can everybody see that? It has four corners. And the four corners stand for the four corners of the earth. God is over all the four corners of the earth. This particular prayer shawl is blue and white. The blue stands for the heavens above where God reigns. And sometimes around uh, Yom Kippur, which is a day of atonement, uh, you will see them with black and white and to mourn the destruction of temp the temple in AD 70. You see there's a lot of words on this prayer shawl and this is a Hebrew blessing for the man who wears the prayer shawl. Every time he puts it on he receives a blessing. Now also Around the collar is a, the same blessing. And this has to be around the man's collar, just like this all, when he wears it. You see that it has a lot of fringes. There are 613 fringes representing the 613 laws that a Jewish person is to obey. But the most important part is this long cord, which is called the tzitzit. And God commanded the Jewish people that they were to wear this on their clothing at all times. If you look at pictures of the Jewish men at the Wailing Wall, they will have on the black suits, but they will have this hanging down. They have like a cummerbund that has this attached to it. So they wear it all the time, and they have to train up their children and so this was uh, what God commanded of them. 
Now, there are four main groups in Judaism. There's the Orthodox Jew, and within that, there's different groups. The ultra-Orthodox are very strict. In their home, they would eat kosher, which means there's certain foods they wouldn't eat. They wouldn't eat, uh, for example, pork or shellfish. And they won't mix dairy products with meat products. So in the ultra-kosher home, they would have two refrigerators and two sinks, a refrigerator for the dairy products and a refrigerator for the meat products, and two sinks, one to wash the dishes of the dairy products and one to wash the dishes of the meat products. If you were the wife of an uh, ultra-Orthodox Jew, uh, you would not be allowed to show your hair outside of your home. You will see them walking down the streets in New York and it looks like they have hair. They'd be wearing a wig or a lot of times they have um, a scarf wrapped around their head. Their hair is their glory and it's meant only for their immediate family to see. Also, the husband and the, any sons would always wear the kippah. You might have heard the word yarmulke, the little skull cap that they wear. That yarmulke is a Yiddish word, and kippah is the Hebrew word. And so from the time a baby is born, a little boy is born, they have these teeny tiny little kippahs, and they put the little kippah on the newborn baby. And so from the time they're born till the time they die, they wear the kippah. And so they're, they're very strict. Now, the next group is the Reformed Jews. Now, the Reformed Jews is just the opposite. They're very liberal. And uh, they, many of the reform uh, groups, a lot of them don't even believe in God. Some of the rabbis don't believe in God. We have somebody down in Boynton Beach, a rabbi, that when he advertised, he advertised, let's get together and enjoy our Jewishness. We don't need to worship a higher power. And so you have everything in, in the uh, reform. Um, and in the reform movement, you would also have women rabbis. The other groups would never have a woman rabbi, but in reform they would. And the next group is conservative Jew. Now they didn't want to be as strict as the Orthodox or as liberal as the reform, so they're somewhere in between. But even in that group, you would have different beliefs. You may have someone that believed that there was going to be a messiah. And someone else would say, what's a Messiah? And then someone else would say, oh, you mean we're going to have a, a, a Messianic kingdom, which means a time of peace. So they will have different opinions about things, but they still will worship together. The men in the uh, conservative group would not wear the keep all the time, but they would wear the keep when they pray for the most part. And I, I say that for the most part because, again, they're not all the same. But the largest group in Judaism is your secular Jew. And that's because of the, uh, uh, the Holocaust where over six million Jews were killed. And the Jewish people say, if there's a Messiah, if there's a God, where was he? Why did he let his supposedly chosen people be killed in such a terrible way? That's a very difficult question to answer. We don't know. But uh, I know that the state of Israel came out of the Holocaust. And again, uh, there have been many believers come out of the Holocaust. Many people have come to the Lord through the Holocaust. So that's just a little bit about uh, things Jewish. This morning, I'm going to do something called the Messiah and the Passover. But before they do that, if you would just lift up this brochure if you got it. Did everyone get one of these? If you got it, hold it up. I want to see if you got it. Okay. Now what we're going to do is we're going to see if Christians can pull together. You ready? You see this part here that has the writing? All right. When I count to three, we're all going to pull. One, two, three. Somebody pulled too soon. <laughs> anyway. Uh, if you would fill this out, uh, Chosen People Ministry sends out a prayer letter each month that is free. And it has so much information in there for you and know what's going on over in Israel, what's going on here 
all about the different feasts and so forth. So that would be a good thing for you to have. If you'll fill it out and give it to me at the end of the service, I'd appreciate it. Okay, now I want to begin what is called the Messiah in the Passover Seder. Every year for the past 3,500 years, the Jewish people have been repeating the story of redemption through the Passover service. But as we will see today, this is a clear prophecy of a greater story, a story of redemption through Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus, our Messiah, who lived and died and rose again for the redemption of all those who would believe in him. As I go through this this morning, I would ask that you would think back to that time when you confessed Yeshua Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and that you would think back on your own testimony and remember how you redeemed out of a life of sin into a new life of freedom and hope and Jesus, the Messiah. Now, Yeshua is the Hebrew name for Jesus. When I say Yeshua HaMashiach, that means Jesus, the Messiah. Messiah means Christ. In the New Testament, Jesus Christ. So it's Yeshua, the HaMessiah. Okay? Now, as the time approaches for uh, Passover, the woman in the house has to clean her house from top to bottom. She has to clean everything out of her house that has leaven in it. And leaven can be sometimes even in uh, little things like um, jellies and jams and things like that. So she cleans everything out. She packs them all in a box. And she will either give it to a Gentile neighbor to hold for her, or she will take it down to the synagogue and leave it there during the Passover. So <coughs> not only, uh, also she has to have uh, special pots and pans and dishes and knives and forks and glasses and so forth that she only uses at Passover. So she has to pack all her dishes away. She has to do real spring cleaning. In actuality, that's where we got spring cleaning. So you can blame the Jews for that. <laughs> so anyway, they, uh, we read in Exodus 12, 19, seven days there shall be no leaven found in your houses. For whoever eats what is leaven, that person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel. Leaven stands for sin in the Bible. And so their house is to be free of leaven, which stands for sin. Now, not only must it be hygienically clean, but the house has to be ceremonially clean. So the night before Passover begins, the father in the home is going to take, well, the, the wife, first of all, is going to light the matches to the candle. And then the father is going to go through the house, and he's going to go with, on what is called the search for the leaven. So he's going to go throughout the house looking for any pieces of crumbs or anything like that. Now the wife, very conveniently, has hidden a few crumbs somewhere. And they're usually always in the same place they were the year before. So it's not like it's very hard for him to find, but he makes a real show of going through the house and looking for the leaven. And so when he finds the crumbs, he brushes it into the spoon, goes to the house with the candle. And then he takes and he will wrap this in a cloth and he will go outside of his house and say a prayer and say, now my house is free of all leaven and the Passover can begin. So the wife uh, lights the candles and she says a, a blessing. Let's pray. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Kedoshanu, Be Yeshua HaMashiach, Oha Olam. 
Blessed art thou, O Lord our God and our Savior, King of the universe, who has sanctified us through the Messiah and who has commanded us to be the light in the world. It is in his name that we kindle the Passover lights. Now the Sabbath and the Passover ushered in by the woman of the house in the lighting of the candles. And just as it's the woman who ushers in the Passover and the Sabbath, so it was from the seed of a woman that the Messiah, the light of the world, came to bring redemption to all those who would believe in him. These candles are never blown out, but are to go out naturally. After she, the, she has said the prayer, we come now to the four cups of wine. And I'm going to take this off because it's quite warm. As we go through the Passover uh, service tonight, we see that the cup of wine is drunk four times. Now at the table in the Jewish home, uh, each person will have a cup of wine, but it will be filled up four times during the night. I have the four cups here so you can see the four cups. These four cups stand for the four I wills in Exodus 6, 6, and 7. The first cup is a cup of sanctification. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. The second cup is a cup of judgment. I will rid you out of their bondage. The third cup is a cup of redemption. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And the fourth cup is a cup of praise. I will take you to me for my people. Now we come to the first cup of wine, which is called the Kaddish. This is a cup of sanctification, which represents the first I will. This was God's promise that he would bring the Jewish people out from under bondage in Egypt. Jesus was uh, celebrating the Passover Seder when he instituted what we have come to know as the Last Supper. In Luke 22, 14 to 18, we read, When the hour had come, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat of it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And the father in the home and everyone raises their glass and he says, Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, borei pri hagafen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. And everyone drinks of the first cup. Now we come to the Urhats. And this is when the father will take a basin of water and he's going to pass it around to everyone at the table. And they will wash their hands and then dry their hands with a towel. It was an ancient custom in the Middle East to wash one's hands before eating. It was especially true of the Jewish people. In Jesus' time, a servant would do this task of washing not only the hands, but the feet as well. In John 13, 3-5, we see that Jesus reversed the order and washed his disciples' feet. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel with which he was girded. So this would have been the time in the Seder service that Jesus did this. Now this is a Seder plate Now this one is 10, 
But in the Jewish homes, they're very fine china or porcelain. And each uh, Seder plate has little cups on it. And again, in the homes, they're very beautiful. I have to travel with this, so it has to be tin. <laughs> but on this Seder plate are several things. You have a bowl of parsley. You have a boiled egg, horseradish, shank bone of a lamb, and a sweet apple mixture called Hariseth. At this time, the father's going to take a piece of parsley He's going to dip it in water, salt water, and he's going to pass this around, one of these around to each person at the table. After everyone receives the parsley, the father says, Blessed are you, O Lord, King of the universe, creator of the fruits of the earth. The parsley represents hyssop, which was used in ancient Egypt in the time of uh, the Exodus to put on the doorposts and lentils of the Jewish home, to put in the blood and then put it on the doorposts and lentils of each Jewish home. And as they, they did that, the death angel would pass over that home that had blood on it. The salt water represents the tears of the Jewish people because their lives were made very bitter. It also represents the Red Sea, which is salty. Now we come to the Ahuts, and this is going to be the breaking of the middle matzah. This is called a matzah tash, which simply means a sack to hold matzah. And in this matzah tash are three compartments. One, two, and three. Each section has uh, some, a board of matzah in it. Now at this time, the father is going to take from the middle portion, a piece of matzah, and he's going to break it in half, hopefully. And he's going to put half back into the matzah tash, and the other half he's going to be put in something called the afikomen. And he's going to take this and hide it somewhere in the house. And you will see what happens with that later on. Because one loaf of bread is used during the week and two on the Sabbath, Jewish tradition says that uh, th these three matzahs are used for Passover. They also say that these three pieces of matzah traditionally represent either the priests, Levites, and all of Israel, or Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We as believers in Yeshua, Jesus, believe this represents the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God. Now we come to the Megid, which is the uh, reciting or the telling of the story of the Exodus. As you know, the Hebrews had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years, and their slavery was made very bitter. And they cried out to the Lord, and the Lord sent two men to come and lead them out of Egypt. This was Moses and Aaron. Moses and Aaron were told by God to go to Pharaoh and demand that he let the people go. Moses and Aaron continued to go 
back and forth with Pharaoh and demanding that he would let the people go. After the ninth plague, the family was told to kill a lamb and to roast it, but to take the blood and put the blood in a I'm sorry, is this making too much noise? Uh, to put the blood in a basin and to put it on the doorposts and lentils of the Jewish home. So they did that, and he commanded that uh, they kill the lamb and also to roast the lamb. They were to put a bunch of hyssop again and put it on the doorposts and lentils. Now, as they killed this lamb and roasted it, they would be very careful not to break any bones of the Passover Seder lamb. Now, you remember when Jesus was on the cross with the two thieves that um, soldiers were sent to go and break their legs because if they broke their legs, they would die faster. And they wanted that because Passover was approaching. So when they came to the two thieves, they broke their legs. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. So his bones were not broken. He was the perfect Passover lamb. Now that night, the Jewish people were to stay in their homes and eat the Passover meal. They were told to eat the meal in haste with a belt on your waist and your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. While they were eating, God passed over Egypt. Wherever there was blood on the doorposts and lentils of the Jewish homes, the death angel passed over. That's where they get the name Passover, because the angel passed over the Jewish homes. But in every home where the, there was no blood, the firstborn of that home all died. God considered Israel's deliverance and redemption from bondage in Egypt of such importance that he commanded the children of Israel to remember and commemorate this event forever. Exodus 12:14 says, Now this day will be a memorial to you, and you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, you are to celebrate it. It is a permanent ordinance. The aim of the Passover Seder is to make every Jewish person, male, female, young, old, to feel that he or she has personally come out of bondage. Passover is a central point in Jewish history and worship, even as Calvary is a central point in the Christian faith. The theme of both is deliverance. Now the second cup of wine is poured in the home. And the youngest son would say, why is this night different from all other nights? And the father would say, this night is different from all other nights because on this night, we celebrate the going forth of our ancestors from bondage into freedom. Now, Clay is going to come forward. Clay? And he's going to ask me the four questions that the youngest son would ask the father in the Jewish home. On all the nights, we eat either leavened or unleavened bread. Why on this night do we eat only matzah, which is unleavened bread? Why do we eat leavened bread tonight? Because God commanded that we eat unleavened bread for seven days. Now, when Pharaoh let our forefathers go, there's a story in the Talmud, which is writings of the rabbis, that says that the people had made their dough and they didn't have time to cook it, the Jewish people, because they had to run. They, you know, they had to get out of Egypt fast. And so they put the dough on their heads. And as they walked through the desert, the tradition says that the dough cooked into unleavened bread. Now, we don't know, but that's what it says. <laughs> okay. On all, on all of the nights, we eat vegetables and herbs of all kinds. Why on this night do we only eat bitter herbs? Why do we eat bitter herbs tonight? Because our forefathers were slaves in Egypt and their bondage was very bitter. On all other nights, we never think of dipping herbs in water or in anything else. 
Why on this night do we dip the parsley in salt water and bitter herbs in the haroseth? Why do we dip the herbs twice tonight? We dip the parsley in salt water because it reminds us of our ancestors' bitter tears. We dip the bitter herbs in sweet haroseth to remind us that our forefathers were able to withstand bitter slavery because it was sweetened with the hope of freedom. On all other nights, we, either, we eat either sitting upright or reclining. Why on this night do we all recline? Why do we recline at table tonight? Because in ancient times, reclining was a symbol of a free person. And so because our ancestors were freed on this night, we recline. Now, they don't normally recline, but today they would maybe tilt just to give the idea of reclining. Let's give Clay a hand. He did a good job. Thank you, Clay. Now we come to the second cup of wine, which is a cup of judgment. The full cup of wine is a symbol of perfect joy. As we recite the plagues tonight, our joy is lessened because Israel's redemption meant that other of God, others of God's creatures had to suffer as a result. Although the Egyptians were deserving of what happened to them, we take no pleasure in the hurt and death of others for our sakes. Therefore, we will reduce the wine in our cups tonight, indicating that our joy is lessened before, because others suffered. For it is written, Rejoice not when your enemies fall. Therefore, one cup for each plague is spilt from our cup. So then everybody's going to take their cup and they're going to recite the plagues. Blood, frogs, gnats, flies, cattle disease, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and the slaying of the firstborn. After this, they, do a, they sing a song called Dehenu. Dehenu means we would have been satisfied. We would have been satisfied if God had only brought us our people out of Egypt. We better, would have been satisfied that he led us through the desert with a cloud during the day and a cloud of fire at night. We would have, would have been enough if he had led us across the Red Sea in safety but we know that he did so much more. As Messianic believers, we can add a further day he knew. If I, God had only provided salvation through Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, it would have been enough. But he did more. For Jesus said of himself, I have come to give life and give it more abundantly. He satisfies and gives us a joy in living which only comes from a faith and trust in him. Now we're going to stand and we're going to recite together the Hallel Psalms. It's going to be on the screen. Praise the Lord. Praise those servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes, the princes of their people. When Israel came out of Egypt, the house of Jacob, from a people of foreign tongue, Judah became God's sanctuary, Israel his dominion. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool, 
the hard rock into springs of water remains standing. Truly we can say hallelujah for the great redemption that God has wrought on our behalf. Redemption from sin, the death of God's Son. Now we're going to say together John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Father raises a cup and says, Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu melech ha'olam, bo pri ha'gafen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. And everyone drinks of the second cup. You may be seated. Now, of course, in the Jewish home, they don't have any reference to Jesus. This is a Messianic Jews, Jews who believe in Jesus. And they can see, as they have put this Passover together, how everything in some way points to Jesus. Now we come to the Matzi Matzot. Again, the three matzahs are raised. And the Father is going to reach in to the top portion. He's going to break off a piece of matzah, and he's going to say, Baruch atah Elanah, Eloheinu melech ha'alam, ha'mosi lahem, men ha'aretz. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brought forth bread from the earth. He hands one of these to each person at the table, and after everyone has one, he says, Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctified us with his commandments, and commanded us concerning the eating of unleavened bread, and everyone eats of the unleavened bread. Now we come to the Mara, <clears throat> and this time, Father's going to break another piece of matzah, and this time he's going to dip it into the bitter herbs, which is horseradish. Sounds good, huh? I heard a hmm. <laughs> and he's going to say, Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us concerning the eating of bitter herbs. So he passes one around to everyone. Now, I was doing this presentation one time, and I used to eat this as I went along. Somebody put some really hot horseradish on this thing. I mean, I couldn't breathe or speak for a few minutes, so I don't eat it anymore because I don't trust you guys. <laughs> so, now we come to the correct, and from the bottom portion, the father's going to take two pieces of matzah, and he's going to dip one in horseradish again. And the other in the sweet apple mixture called Harriseth. And he's going to make a sandwich. And he's going to pass one of these little sandwiches around to each person at the table. <coughs> And then he says, as a bitter herb is a symbol of suffering, the salt water a symbol of tears, the greens a symbol of hyssop, the wine a symbol of blood, so the heraseth is a symbol of mortar, representing the clay bricks which our forefathers made in Egypt. These are combined because even the bitterest labor is sweet when redemption draws an eye, and everyone eats of the correct. Now at this time, the uh, <coughs> father would stop the presentation, and this is a time when the family would eat their meal together. And if, if, do you have any Jewish people up in this area? If you're ever, wherever you are, invited to a, a Jewish Passover, 
you go because it's a feast. Uh, in olden times, they used to eat lamb, but today they don't eat lamb. Uh, they would eat something like chicken or a brisket of beef or something like that. But it's a feast, so it's a very enjoyable time. Remember I told you how we broke the middle portion of matzah? And the father hid that matzah somewhere in the house. So at this time in the home, Jewish home, all the children are going to run through the house trying to find the afikoman. And the one who finds it is going to get money. So you can imagine what that sounds like as everybody's racing through the house looking for the afikoman. So the one who finds the afikoman brings it back to the father in the home. And of course there's laughing, there's singing, sometimes there's dancing. It's a very joyful time that the child has found the afikoman. Now, it's significant that the middle portion of the matzah was broken. And we see that when Jesus died on the cross, he hung on the cross. And then Joseph of Arimathea took his body and placed it in a new tomb. And they wrapped cloths around the body. And then when Jesus rose from the, the dead, there was great rejoicing among his disciples and those who were believers in him because of this great miracle, just like, again, the rejoicing in the Jewish home over the finding of the afikoman. This was rejoicing in finding that Jesus, the Messiah, was not dead, but was alive. Now we come to the Hagila, which is the third cup. This cup represents the third, I will, I will redeem you. This was God's promise that he would redeem his people from slavery, meaning he would buy them back. It is this cup after supper in the upper room, which Jesus raised and said, this is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. And the father in the home says, Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Borei pri hagafen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. And everyone drinks of the third cup. Now you can see there's some items on the Seder plate that we haven't talked about. And in the Jewish home, there is a roasted egg on the plate. Do not try this at home. So they would have a roasted egg on the plate, which re represent the destruction of the temple in AD 70. The temple wasn't just destroyed, it was burned because the uh, soldiers, the Roman soldiers wanted to get all the gold that was in between the uh, pieces of mortar and, and brick. And so they burned it totally to get the gold. And so that represents that. Also on the Seder plate is a shank bone of a lamb. I've had this shank bone for 16 years. <laughs> it's been everywhere. But uh, the shank bone uh, represents us of the ancient sacrifices in Egypt where they sacrifice the lamb at Passover. Again, they don't do that today, but uh, they will always have a shank bone on their Seder plate to remind them of the ancient sacrifices in Israel. Now on every Seder table, there's a place setting where no one sits. This is called Elijah's place. And at Elijah's place is a very ornate cup. Again, in the Jewish homes, they're beautiful. They're, 
they're crystal or fine china. And this one is pewter, but it has Hebrew writings all inside. And this is saved for Elijah. The Jewish people don't believe that Messiah has come. Those who believe that there is a Messiah, that he will come. But in every Jewish home, no matter what they believe, they will always have this set aside for Elijah. And they will ask the youngest child to go to the door and open the door and see if Elijah's there. Now, I was doing this presentation in Canada, and this very elderly woman told me the story about when she was a young girl in Poland, just before Hitler marched into Poland. <coughs> and it was her duty to go and open the door for Elijah. So uh, her father says, go, daughter, and see if Elijah's come. So she goes to the door and opens it, and there's a man standing there. Well, I mean, of course, they were all taken back that somebody was standing there. And, of course, he wasn't Elijah, but they invited him in to share their meal with him. It turned out to be the town drunk, but they invited him in to share the Passover meal with him, them. So while they're looking, they're not really looking. You know what I'm saying? And if Elijah comes, he's not coming to the United States anyway. Now we come to the fourth cup of wine, which is the fourth I will. I will take you to me for a people. Now, in many Jewish homes, they don't drink of the fourth cup because Messiah hasn't come. But the, those who believe in Jesus believe that this cup represents the great hope that someday Jesus is going to return and take his people back to him with him and live with him forever. And the Father says, Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. Everyone drinks the fourth cup. Now again, a lot of the Jewish families don't know anything, so they would drink the fourth cup anyway. So. Uh, it's just those who uh, would say that be more adamant about a Messiah that would maybe not drink of the fourth cup. <coughs> so the Passover Seder is complete, just as our salvation is complete in Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. Excuse me, <coughs> that last drink. Uh, <coughs> I'd like for you to pray for us. Our ministry is very difficult. And I would like you to remember what God said to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. <coughs> uh, uh, remember that uh, the Jewish people were chosen by God first and they were to be a, a, a witness to us, but they failed in that. So now we're to be a witness to them. Romans 1.16 says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God to salvation, to the Jew first, and then to the Gentile. Thank you very much for having me. You're my first group, so I sort of stumbled along today. Sorry about that, but I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you.